Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after what I thought was a fabulous game against the Dallas Stars. Now, I know that Jets fans aren't going to like the outcome of this, and I talked to Kenny a little bit before the start of this, but I honestly don't know how he feels about this game. We could be entirely on polar opposites to the sides of this here, but you will have heard me talk in the past, and I know there was a lot of people the last time that the Jets played the Dallas Stars who said, you know, the Jets deserved a better fate, which I absolutely did not agree with. And to a degree, I kind of am not a real big fan of the this team deserved a better fate argument. Um, after the last game they played the Dallas Stars, Dave Lowry said the Jets deserved a better fate. Tonight, he said the same thing, and I completely and utterly agree with him. I thought the Jets, for the vast majority of that night, were the better of the two teams, where the teams it was the team that was taking the play to the Dallas Stars. Their forecheck was absolutely tenacious. They were all over them. They contested every puck. There was no easy ice. Uh, Dubois and Connor's line was absolutely dogged. They were showing off their skill. They were showing off their tenacity, but they were taking the puck hard to the net and were dangerous all night. I thought they were phenomenal. You know, it comes down to a couple plays that let, really, you know, the one criticism that I have so often about the Winnipeg Jets is they get into a game, they do not, uh, they're not the better of the two teams. They use their um, timely goal scoring or their opportunistic goal scoring to get back into a game and win that game. I don't think it's a sustainable model. Well, tonight, that was the Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars were getting beat up all over the ice and just seemed to put the puck in at the right time every single turn. This was a real role reversal here. I don't mind the role reversal. I don't mind it because, A, the Jets, you know my whole take on the Jets have room for one loss a week. Well, because they they didn't lose here, that's a half loss. So they've got eight and a half losses left in them in the season. So one, that's an important d- distinction to make. But two, I know we were talking about the Jets having two straight wins. Now they've got points in three straight games, but those two straight wins came against this first, the last place team in the NHL, and then the second last place team in the NHL. But to me, the game that they played against the Dallas Stars tonight was the right game. If they carry that game going forward, um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say I like their chances because their chances are terrible right now. If you take a look at where they are, there's almost no room for error. And that has to be factored into this tonight. There was some error and they end up, you know, on the wrong side of this ultimately. But from what I'm seeing from the Jets in that game is at least a blueprint executed that if they go out and play that kind of game against good teams, if they play that game, against the New York Rangers on Sunday, they're going to give themselves a chance. I'm not saying it's going to turn out, but they will give themselves a chance. Um, I I just got to say, I liked it. I liked the blueprint. And the one thing about it that I really think that I I may have liked more than anything else is using Adam Lowry the way that he's been playing, having Andrew Kopp on that line who looked dangerous for a second straight game since returning from injury, but adding Nick Ehlers to that line, I thought that line was dangerous all night. I thought that was the second most dangerous line for the Jets. I thought that uh, the Jets' second line, if you want to call it that, Dubois, Svechnikov, and Connor, were the most dangerous line out there tonight. The fourth line did their, you know, one of my most, or one of the passing plays that I was most impressed with was a near goal by Dominic Toninato. Um 
And then, you know, I, I think the Jets, you know, top line of, of Shifley and Stastny and, and uh, Wheeler, you know, showed up at, at, you know, Stastny anyways, and Wheeler showed up at the right time. This is what this team looks like when it can have depth. And that is the one thing that I think has driven Jets fans nuts for a really long time is you have the roster to employ depth and depth just does not get employed. How important is Evgeny Sveshnikov look on that second line and what he does, you know, the chain effect that he makes down the lineup? Absolutely phenomenal. I've gone to the buffet for too long. It's time to bring Ken in here. I'm fascinated to see what he has to say about this whole thing. So let's not wait anymore. The man with the best music in the business. Here comes Kenny. Kenny, my friend, every time I see you, you've got a better and better tan, whereas my nose just keeps getting redder because I'm trying to fight off <laughs> the last bit of this cold here. But it's great to see you, my friend. Uh, let's get right into it, right off the bat, because I'm fascinated to see what you saw in that game. I saw a lot of hope if I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan. I know a lot of people may not agree with that. That's what I saw. What did you see? Well, Jets played very after the first period. The Jets played extremely well, but the problem, Sean, is that they've waited a little bit too long in this ride to uh, get into overdrive. I would say that that's what I see. Uh, good news, Mark Old uh, Leon has shined up the uh, the T bird behind me. He was a little disappointed. I know you probably couldn't see it on the camera work, but uh, he's got it buffed up and shined up for the backdrop here uh, in Maricopa tonight. Uh, Jets, you know, they held them. The majority of the play over the final 40 minutes is how I would say. Uh, slightly outchanced in the high dangers in the first period. Uh, I would also say that I didn't like the Jets' power play at all uh, in the first period, which is part of the reason they kind of got themselves a little bit behind. Uh, the eight. I mean, again, not in terms of falling way behind, but I mean, the power play just got nothing going for them uh, at a time when they really could have given themselves a boost. And then, surprise, surprise, Dallas up the next three power plays. So... Uh, overall, over the last 40 minutes, the Jets did a you know, very good job in a lot of areas. Um, they got themselves going. They got themselves the lead, but they couldn't hold the lead. And, and that's been a problem for the Jets this year, Sean, at times. They have rallied for you know being in the opposite position, but uh, that's a game they have to lock down. They needed two clean points in this game. Uh, I do agree it was a point well earned, uh, but I also agree with Matt there. It's important to remember that while the Jets were very close, to their optimal lineup, with maybe the exception of Cole Perfetti, uh, the Stars were missing two, uh, you know, their best defensemen. And I know Sagan has not had a great year, but he's great against the Jets. So um, it's interesting, right? I mean, if the Jets played like that the majority of the time down the stretch, they'll have a chance. But the problem is that they failed to close the gap against one of the teams they're chasing. Now, the more interesting part is. Now suddenly Dallas is um, putting the heat on teams like Minnesota and Nashville. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, but the problem for the Jets is 
a team like Vegas is now in a dogfight for the final playoff spot. And we thought that they were one of the guaranteed teams in the Pacific. And I would still put them down as a lead pipe lock. But right now they're in a they're in a chase position, which is very strange. And uh, I mean, again, I, I know folks are up in arms here. And what I'm going to say quickly here, uh, this was not a banner night for Connor Hellebuck. They're, most of the chances against were grade A chances. But to be dumping on Hell, but this was a night, Sean. We've talked about this a lot. This was a night where Connor Hellebuck was the second best goalie on the ice. I'm yeah. not pointing a finger at him, yeah. but Braden Holtby played an exceptional game. The backup goalie for the Dallas Stars played an exceptional game. I'm not blaming Hellebuck at all, but he gave up four goals. And I mean, again, a lot of those are breakaways. And look at all the time Jason Robertson has. Incredible job by Robertson in this hockey game. Uh, three goals. And he made the biggest play of the night on the tying goal, the uncalled cross-check. Yes. Right? So yes. Jason Robertson's fingerprints are all over this game. A uh, couple things, too. I mean, I know I've, I'm answering on the buffet because we're doing a little little TV treat there. You got a little snack uh, going. Uh, I'll just keep going for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. Um, Comrie's been very good, but, I mean, in a game that the Jets had to win, they – you play your number one. I mean, come on. Let, let, that, that's that's what you do. But a quick thing here, and again, this is not about finger pointing and this is not about one player, but it was another tough night for Neil Pionk, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and not just because he, you know, it's, it's a great save by Holtby. Some people thought he missed the net. He got enough of the blocker to shield it to go around the bend. But I did not like the drop pass to Nikolai Ehlers. And of course, it's terrible luck for Neil Pionk that Ehlers blows a tire in that situation, Sean. But just like we got on Vili Hainala for situational awareness, if you're in the final minute of a period, there's no reason to have a drop pass in that scenario, right? Don't you agree? I agree 100%. Yeah, it, it was... Uh, I was surprised that people were, um, were upset with Neil Pionk. I don't have any problem with Neil Pionk's play on, on, in that situation. Oh. He's, he's getting the puck to a guy who had plenty of time got a lot of speed it's a reset what he's trying to do is put it to a guy that even if he can't save it inside the zone he can save possession and they can reload and do what they need to do that's the new nhl i mean guys will give up the blue line if it means holding on to it and getting a change and keeping possession i didn't overly have a problem with it um i i I think that that's on that play i hold nick ehlers to account in that situation uh i think uh I think instead of trying to fish it out, he just needs to be sure with it, right? Like he's trying to save a play there rather than yeah. – rather than. Uh, anyways, go on. Uh, one just quick one. I just don't like – and I understand he shielded himself, but Pionk took himself out of the play. I don't mind the drop pass there, but he needs to be on the inside position. The way it worked Good out, point. he trails himself towards the boards – which creates the odd man rush, right? So it just seemed like he got kind of spun around. It wasn't a bad play. It just was a bad result. And like I said, I mean, at all levels of hockey, the danger zone is within 5 to 10 feet of the blue line in both sides, right? Offensive zone and the defensive zone. It led directly and fed the transition game and led to a goal. So uh, that, that to me is a play that could be avoided. And like I said, it's bad luck that Neilers fell down. Uh, but again, I, I think that was a, a play that was, it was an avoidable goal. Uh, really nice play by Harley uh, to get it over to Robertson. And nice job going through the five hole. And again, the quick thing about Hellebuck, like 
those five hole goals, it's easy in slow motion to think, oh, well, you got to close the pads. Well, Jason Robertson has 26 goals, okay? Like, this is a bona fide goal scorer who just scored his first NHL hat trick. Uh, how about the first goal? Um, again, lots of stuff went wrong on that play. Brendan Dillon kind of tossed a bit of a grenade out there. Pavelski gets it back to the point. And then the Jets kind of got lost in coverage. Um, like Dylan kind of got, he, he went with Pavelski because that's who we turned the puck over to, which made sense. Pionk is over on the other side. And then Shifley's got a fill, right? I mean, if Shifley knocks the puck down completely like he was in position to do, we're not even talking about Shifley. But because it gets off his stick and ends up with Robertson, and then by the time Mark turns around and realizes there's nobody behind him, now Robertson is undressed Hellebuck because there's no one between him and the net. So, uh, interesting play there again. I mean, that it could have been avoided. I think that's an avoidable play. But, I mean, those things, it's happened to the Jets a few too off, too off, too many times for it to be a coincidence. But again, I think that was just a couple of things where I wouldn't even call them always mistakes, but things that they're doing are ending up being glaring. Uh, and it ends up in the back of the net, and, and then they're left saying, you know, yeah, we had a chance, and uh, we could have been better. But um, overall, I mean, the Jets played played very well in a lot of areas, but their errors seem to be ending up in the back of the net with, with a little bit more regularity. So that's why they're in a position where they're going to have to leapfrog four teams. So uh, anyways, we'll continue to dive and dig into it. But uh, I'm with you 100% on like, Svechnikov, another excellent job in the retrieval department, getting to the blue paint. Uh, on the Kyle Connor tying goal. I mean, that's the thing, right? So the Jets were behind after two periods, found a way to score early, and then get the lead. I mean, on an exceptional pass by Blake Wheeler. And what a finish by Paul Stastny. I mean, it was a great play by Wheeler to get it in front, but Stastny completely has to contort his body in order to get a full wood on it, even though he's not covered, right? That's not an easy goal to score. Uh, really great pass, great vision, and a nice play by Dylan DeMello uh, to get the puck behind the net to Wheeler. Um, one other thing, I know a lot of people are up in arms about the overtime play. Uh, I know a lot of people are wondering, oh, well, how come Blake Wheeler isn't able to catch Jason Robertson? I went back and looked a couple times, Sean. On the play, Wheeler is opening up because he's not sure if Pionk is going to shoot or pass it over to him for a one-timer. So it's not Wheeler's responsibility to get back, I don't think. But what I saw out of the corner of my eye, this is how Wheeler view, views the play, Sean. He sees Jamie Ben behind him, so he thinks he has his man covered. And all of a sudden, he looks to his left, and Robertson is shot out of a cannon. And by then, there's no chance Wheeler or anyone else is going to catch him at the end of his shift. So... I don't think that was a lack of effort by Wheeler on any stretch. I don't think it was a lack of awareness. I think that he thought he had his man in the vicinity, and that was Jamie Benn. And Jamie Benn was not going to blow by Wheeler, but Robertson came out of the side, and you know he was past Shifley, he was past Pionk, and obviously he was past Wheeler, and it was turn out the lights, the party's over. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, it, it looked it looked like 
the Jets got Winnipeg jetted. I mean, I think they got a little focused and they, they put up how many shots? I mean, it was in the high 30s. Yeah. Is that no, they were in the 40s. Up? No, they they were, were in the 40s. the 40s by the time it was all said and done. And uh, I, I just I, I take a look at, at, at this game and it just seemed like what you can do and what the Jets did for years. I mean, remember that this was this was a, there was some kind of ridiculous sat out there for a while with the Jets when they were uh, I think the 2018-19 team where you know they were like 8-0-1 in the games where they'd given up 40 shots or more right and that to me I mean what can happen in those situations especially if you have a goalie going and boy oh boy did the Dallas Stars have a goalie going tonight you can get another team going and and on their toes and pressing and pressing and they get that close to a goal and they they get that close to another one and then what you start doing is you just kind of get sucked in and drawn in towards everybody all at once and then the one the one thing I'll give the the Dallas Stars and I was talking with Joey Slattery, Joey pointed this out. There was a couple shifts there, especially the tying goal uh, in the second period uh, for the Jets when that second line got. Like, I don't know if you remember that shift, but man, oh man, were the Dallas Stars casual. Like, just they're the Jets are all over them, and they had a couple chances to get rid of the puck, and they kind of looked like they were trying to do some kind of play with it and kept turning it over and turning it over. The Jets. Eventually ended up scoring. The one thing I'll say, and you know, maybe it's because Sagan is, or maybe it's because, and you know, like let's be honest, Miro Heiskanen is one of those players that oh, like man. changed the entire game when he's out there for sure. Right? You get him logging a whole bunch of ice time, and and suddenly your team is getting clean exits out of your zone. It's an entirely different team. So there is something to be said. You touched on it in the tech chat room. Most definitely touched on it. This is a different team with one, the number one jet killer out there in Tyler Sagan. Although, boy, Robertson is sure looking to pass him in that regard. Um, but without Miro Heishkin, and it's, it's a different story as well. But I just thought I, I thought there was not the intensity I would have expected from that Dallas Stars team. I'm not saying for a second that that the Jet that this is a night where the Jets were the better team because the other team didn't put in an effort. I thought the Jets forecheck was just dogged and tenacious, and they just backed that that Dallas Stars team into a corner over and over and over again. But maybe what I was looking at and seeing and thinking it was like kind of a lack of effort not a, maybe not a lack of effort but definitely that you know that they didn't the, the stars didn't seem to have any kind of urgency but they are a really calm team and that calmness you can see really came to the forefront in their place tonight where they kind of you know held up the shield as the jets attacked over and over and over and over again and it just did seem to your point about the mistakes it seemed that every time the jets slipped a guy too far down the ice the puck got turned over and it was an odd man rush and that was clearly what happened uh, when 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 the uh, when the Dallas Stars got numbers down ice this game it ended up in the back of their net and you know to to your point uh, about the Robertson cross check from behind with Demello uh, why hey why do you think that wasn't called oh just I mean it's it, the crackdown is over do with the fact that the refs were so busy all night that they thought they'd let one go. I think that because they called so many minors early on and they were the, you know, the cheapo special hooking and whatever else. Like again, it wasn't a dirt it wasn't a dirty game, but there were so many power plays in the first period and change. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean Well Rope Hintz gets a hooking call early in the game and the replay shows he never on, on Blake Wheeler, when Blake Wheeler fought. No, no, that, I I don't know. It's, it's, his foot that they locked feet. That's why he fell down. They called that's what I saw. Call. I they understand that. I, 
Agreed. I think they got the call wrong, but he definitely he was in a chase position, and I think because they, you know, it's one of those things in in football. Either that gets called pass interference or incidental contact. But I mean, he, if a guy gets his foot in between yours, even if it's not a stick, it's still uh, to me it was could have been tripping and not hooking. But again, the bigger miss is, was the obvious one. Essa Lindell hooks the hands of Adam Lowry on a clear-cut breakaway. That's a penalty. It's a penalty shot. Never mind a penalty, right? I mean, come on. Like that. That was a wake-up moment. It. I understand they were going to call interference, but they barely. Like they're barely even made contact. Suter barely makes contact with Lowry, but Lindell hooks him on the hands at a perfect time, prevents a shot from even being taken. And it's completely ignored. So, I mean, after you ignore that, then I guess, of course, you don't want to, you know, make a call of that magnitude. Sean, my big, sorry, not of my bigger problem, but why is there no one on Dennis Gurionov? Why does he have a clean shot from the point in that situation? Yeah, that, that, that Where's the coverage? Where's the coverage there? happening because Gurionov has all the time in the world to recognize that, oh, that man. Jason Robertson's in front. And and is putting up the perfect screen and knows exactly where to put it. But I mean, Nick Robertson has all the time in the world to just stand in front of the goaltender and put in the perfect screen without any pressure. Oh, for sure. Clearly, he clear he gets that because because he knocks down Demel. But you are right. There's a, it's a it's a breakdown at that time of the game. But still, I mean, again, it should it have been called? Yes, of course. In a game where there's that many penalties. If there was supposed to be the standard and it wasn't supposed to just be for preseason in the first quarter, it's probably something that should have been called. Like you, you see Demello, he's a completely baffled. Like, how do you think I? You think I just banana peeled it and fell down? Like, what's happening here? But again, I mean, yeah. yeah, for sure. But uh, I had another. Um, anyways, let's let's keep uh, let's keep. Well, here I, I I was trying to lead to that because uh, remind me what the first penalty was of the game. Do you remember? Uh, the first penalty was also kind of a very it was strange. It was yeah, the first one yeah. was oh Pavelski the hooking on Morrissey. It was also kind of a weird play through the neutral zone, right? It was yeah. It it, it to, so here's here's what I wondered. I that, now I didn't go back and look at these plays. But in the moment when Morrissey went down, I'd wondered yeah. if he was selling, right? Like I'd wondered if because he comes behind the net and there's a little bit of a push and there's almost like a two strides and then a fall. So I, I wondered if even if it was like like if he could have righted himself or fought through it. And I wondered if there was a bit of a sell. And then I wondered if on the Wheeler play there was a bit of a sell. And I'll tell you another one, Ken, where I wondered if there was a sell. And we've talked about this before. And, and it's brilliant. Like – Pierre-Luc Dubois on that hooking call gets the stick around him. And what does Pierre-Luc Dubois do if you ever put your stick by him? He puts his big arms out like this and he grabs it and pulls it towards his chest and then fights as though you're hooking away at him, right? So it's I was wondering if the refs in the third period had felt that the Jets had pulled sales jobs on them on a number of penalties earlier on in the game. And if that made it less likely, because the, the one other thing, and I've looked at this play, and my original thought was that DeMello may have gone down a little bit too easy because it doesn't look like Jason Robertson obliterates him. But that said, when you're standing there and you're not expecting a push from behind, you go down. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give DeMello the benefit of the doubt there. 
I'm just saying that I wonder if the, maybe the, the the refs didn't give him the benefit of the doubt, and I do wonder if maybe they had felt that they lost control of the game in an unusual way. Not that the game was too rowdy, but that they'd called all these penalties, and in retrospect had looked and been like, is this really like an 8-12 to 12 penalty game? What's happening here? And I do wonder if they felt that the players were taking advantage of of their propensity to go to the whistle on that evening and that they didn't go to the whistle in that moment because they felt that they'd fallen for some sales jobs earlier on in the game. Yeah, it's an interesting theory. I had never thought of it during the game. To me, I just think it's it's simple. I mean, Dylan DeMello, like Jason Robertson is strong on his feet, but he's not a big guy. So if you're Dylan DeMello, you're not expecting to be cross-checked. It's not, a, it, well, it's not like they fronted each other and got into a battle for the space in front of the net. Robertson just flat out cross-checks him. So if even if you're not a big guy, if you're not expecting to be cross-checked, of course it's going to look like you fell down easily, right? I mean, I didn't see it that way. And just one quick one, folks. Uh, you know, part of the reason showing off the car, yes, but uh, I'm at my in-laws and, you know, Stacy's sister's here, her best friend Kim is here. Uh it just there's not really it, it, it's uh you know we're on we're not it's not like I'm at home where I have, you know, two levels where where I can go on my own floor here. So I'm just trying to be a good guest. Uh, that's why I'm in the garage. I do appreciate all the jokes. And uh, uh, I know folks are enjoying the car. I was on with Hustler this afternoon. It was getting a few, uh, a little bit of love. But uh, th- that's why I am in the garage. I have not been banished here. I'm not sleeping Listen, in the car. People, I'm going to give you the real goods. <laughs> Kenny has skipped too many family buffets down there because he keeps sneaking away golfing and he's sleeping in the garage tonight and he deserves to the guy you can't keep him off the golf course and there's responsibility when you're down not true didn't play today no time no time your your sister-in-law and the best friend and the mother and father-in-law you're supposed to be putting in time with them not going out bragging about the first two birdies of the season like we heard from you last time ken so you've earned your spot in there yeah you deserve it just take your medicine that the chat room is giving. Oh, you. I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm I'm enjoying the medicine. Uh, <laughs> one other quick one here. Or I mean, we got lots of time here, but uh, the five and three. I mean, the Jets just too static on the. But here, here's the here's the part, Sean, and we know this because power plays are cyclical. Like we're going all crazy about the Jets' power play. They just went four for six two days ago. So generally, when you go four for six, you're not going three for five the next night, but. It's one of those things where when a team gets that, you want it all the time. But it's just really not uh, not the way it works uh, overall. But they had to be better. They needed to be quicker. I mean, their only good look was the Kyle Connor one-timer. I mean, they just weren't didn't do a good enough job with the puck movement. And what happens? The second unit gets out there. They get a nice play to Stastny. It's a tie game, right? I mean... Um, I didn't like the ice distribution. I know Dave Lowry thought it was more to do with zone time. But... I think that on a night where Nikolai Ehlers was really flying, I thought they needed to get him out there. I mean, the goal that didn't count because it wasn't actually a goal. What about the zone entry on that play, right? What about the yeah. zone entry there, walking around, dancing, and gets it over to Cop, and then Cop rings the bar? Uh, let's dig into Ehlers here. Ehlers here. I mean, you were in the building. Well, to me, before you go there, I just want to. I have a theory on on the Jets' power play tonight. Um, I, I do. I, I'm a big believer. I know we talked about this on the last show. I don't think sure. you agreed with me on this. No. Okay. I so you think, saw adjustments. I, I do think Marty St. Louis came in woefully unprepared to have his team handle the Jets' power play. Like the Jet. I mean, you can be a good power play team, but the Jets. Those goals that they got, those final four game, goals of the game came from just like 
primo, primo spots and setups and didn't give the goalies much of a chance. It was way too easy. The seams were wide open. The passes were going everywhere. The Canadians played a terrible penalty kill on that night. And so what happens, Ken, in those situations where things come a little bit too easily one night? Like this is what this is what coaches worry about, right? When you get into a winning streak and you keep going and you get a little bit loose because the puck's going in for you, then all of a sudden when it gets hard, you're not prepared for it to be hard. That's what I thought happened tonight. I thought the Dallas Stars handled the, the penalty kill extremely, extremely well tonight. Um, and and if you take a look at the situation, it just feels like the Jets were used to being able to pass around. Like there was a whole bunch of times I thought, and you know the chat room has already talked about the overpassing uh, that the Jets do on 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 the on the power play. There was a whole bunch of times that Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor I thought got caught searching for that seam from the one wing to the other side, right? Because they were moving it up top and over, up top and over. And what they were trying to do, because there was the, the stars were getting pressure up top, they thought that that would open up that middle seam and they'd be able to fire it all the way across the ice and it would be a one-timer. And that's how they were going to, you know, you, you that's how you feel like you have to beat a goalie uh, like Holpe when he's playing the way he was tonight. But I just thought that the Jets wasted a whole bunch of time trying to find seams that were not there. Uh, Shifley tried to pass it a couple times and hit skates in the process. So to me, they they were they were trying to score the same goals that they scored against the Montreal Canadiens in the last game, and those goals were unavailable. And they were only available last game because the Montreal Canadiens came with a bad plan on defending the Jets' power play. The Dallas Stars came with a good plan, and what they needed to do was get it to the net front and try and jam it in. They didn't try that once. There was no effort to just get a shot on net and have Pierre-Luc Dubois, who was having a beast of a night again, have him just bear down and try and jam that puck in. They they owed it to themselves to try and get a goal like that tonight. There, there, there just was never an effort there to do that. Everything was looking for seams and one-timers. Just did not work for them tonight because it wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, I think that there was... To me, that's not a matter. The overpassing, I, I just... The spacing was off. I didn't like... Again, we've talked about this a lot. Shifley was a little bit too spread... Like, too close to the wall. Like, both Connor and Shifley, both, they're too close to the back hash marks. You're not dangerous there, right? You don't have to respect the shot as often from there. And the fact they weren't able to get any looks from Dubois in the high slot, right? So, yeah. And they didn't really get anything to Josh at the top either in terms of the shot. So, yeah. Uh, it's interesting, right? You go four for six, you think you're moving the puck, snapping it around, it's all good. And then it just got a little bit too static uh, for them today. But uh, let's dig into the uh, overtime stuff here. I mean, I mean, d- Dave Lowry's right. The Jets had chances. But, I mean, when you lose 10 games in overtime in a shootout, it's a problem. I mean, this happened at the Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars missed the playoffs because they were unable to win enough games in extra time last year. This year, the Jets are have become that team. And we've talked about this briefly before. I'm confused why they haven't tried three forwards. And I understand part of the reason is because Josh Morrissey's having so much better of a season. So I'm okay with that. But... Is there not a situation where three forwards might be beneficial to the Jets in in extra time, whether it's with their first or second or third rotation? I I just think in a, in a game where you 
essentially, I think where the Jets lost the game is exactly what I'd said before, that Dallas Stars were able to get odd man rushes down ice. Um, right. And I think there was a couple situations. I mean, there was a, a situation late in the game when, and I can't remember which player it was. I think it may have been Jamie Banner Pavelski. It was one of their, no, it was Rope Hints is who it was. And all of a sudden, somehow, Nick Ehlers was back defending him. And I thought, and and, and Rope Hints kind of, as he was looking up, dumped the puck in. And I think when he dumped it in and looked up and saw who was defending him, whoops, he was like, uh-oh, because Rope Hintz is a big man who has speed and is extremely strong. And if I'm Rope Hintz, nothing against Nick Ehlers. He's got great speed. Maybe he would have beat him to a spot. But if I'm Rope Hintz, I'm going, trying to skate around Nick Ehlers and throwing my shoulder into him and driving it to the net every single time. And and I could just – I could feel – the panic in the Jets coaching staff when that situation had in the giant, you know, exhale when, when Rope Hintz didn't recognize what was happening and dumped the puck in. Um, but I, I do think that there was a feeling that they needed defense on the ice in that game because you didn't want to get caught down ice with, with a forward and because the, the Dallas Stars were just using that odd man rush to such great effect on the evening that if they had someone back there they wanted someone who was a little bit better and more capable of playing playing the two-on-one should it end up that way that that's my take on that yeah no right on uh let's dive into Ehlers here uh, i thought he was really good tonight uh what'd you see inside the building it looked like the electricity was back obviously he's being eased in a bit i think 16 minutes and change i like where he was used and i i know you touched on it off the top um, I agree. I think that the balance that the Jets have been seeking for so long was yeah. really there. It's there. And, it's and what there. we've talked about all year, Sean, the third line has basically been a revolving door around Adam Lowry and, and none of the, you know, none of the modes have really worked that well. Suddenly the Jets look dangerous when they have those nine forwards together and then sort of see what happens. And, I mean, you're right. I mean, one of the best chances of the game was was when Ehlers was ha- was still on the ice with Tony Otto and Veselainen, and, and Tony yeah. Otto makes that play for the redirection That's by Veselainen, and it's another yeah. really good save Great by Braden play. Holtby. But, again, a great, great zone entry by Ehlers. He whips the pass across to Tony Otto, and then Tony Otto sees Veselainen streaking, which, again, Sean, we know Veselainen has offensive ability, even though it hasn't translated. This time he did go to the net. So, I mean, good on him for doing it. But, uh, I mean, the difference between being a, you know, five-goal guy and a ten-goal guy is going to those areas with a little bit more frequency, and then you bury a few of those chances. Yeah, I, I thought, I, I mean, I love dealers there. I know a lot of people, you know, when we tweeted the Lions um, in in uh, warm-up today, there's a lot of people who are upset with where Nikolai Ehlers was. I get that. I, I am a person who believes over the tenure of um, of Paul Maurice's time as the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets <laughs> that Nick Ehlers did not get as much opportunity as he deserved and other players who may have been given more opportunity than they deserved. But I like this. Uh, Nick Ehlers and Andrew Kopp play well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Lowry has been, in my mind, and boy, oh boy, don't, don't let me go on... on uh, I'm just going to take a quick detour. On that power sure. play goal that the Jets get, um, if you take a look at it, it's a three-way passing play. Um, but that puck is picked up by a Dallas Stars player, and I think there's only like 28 seconds left in the in the, that power play. He gets it, goes around the net, has a clear lane outside of the zone to get rid of that puck and dump it down the ice. Adam Lowry catches him from behind, 
dogs him enough that he can't get the stick on it, turns the puck over, and then not only turns the puck over, but cleanly gets it in a manner that the Jets can capitalize on the stars who are in the wrong spot, go to their spots and start the passing play that moves that puck around and catches them out of out of uh, position. That was one of the most sublime hockey plays I have seen from the Winnipeg Jets this season. It was perfection. It was that is what hockey is all about. You want to talk about players making other players better on the ice like Adam Lowry's name doesn't end up on the score sheet with that but that is oh, Adam yeah. Lowry's goal more than anyone else's goal For absolutely sure. phenomenal won the battle won the won that. the physical battle right it was and never mind the it. fact that he goes out and gets you know two breakaways again in a game shorthanded basically turns the Jets penalty kills into into man advantages or out there or, or scoring chances for the Jets time and time again he's been absolutely phenomenal so putting players with him who can actually put the puck in the net I love the idea of doing that you want to talk about rewarding players for their work Adam Lowry deserves to play with two players of that ilk right now uh, and I just he's been uh, great they, they played a nice, simple, direct game. There was a couple times that that, and this is just this is just beautiful when when players do this. I saw that Adam Lowry will break it up ice. He'll move it over to Cop. Cop will start skating in. And what he does is he starts skating in a way that he's threatening, like he's going to dump the puck and roll it around the boards. And so the defenseman that is on Nick Ehlers starts kind of cheating and going down like he's expecting the ring around the board so that he can be the first one to get on it because he knows Nick Ehlers is coming and he plays a little too far back off Nick Ehlers and then what happens as soon as Cop recognizes that he passes it over to Ehlers who's streaking he gets it and takes that shot there was one shot that just nicked Braden Holtby's pad yeah, and yeah. it went wide that was that was that close to being a goal I thought, you know, to create those kind of opportunities that they did tonight, that line was phenomenal. Um, and, and let's get to your point about the depth here. Like, what is depth supposed to do for you? Well, depth doesn't mean that every single line is working. And boy, oh boy, we've seen from the Winnipeg Jets, it's hard <laughs> to get multiple lines going. But Pierre-Luc Dubois' line was going tonight. Adam Lowry's line was going tonight. I didn't think Shifley's line was going for for a lot of the game. But the fact that those two lines were going bought them time to put an impact on the game with their skill. Right. And I'm talking about a, subl a sublime uh, play by Adam Lowry. What a sublime pass by Blake Wheeler. You know, absolutely creates something out of nothing with that gorgeous pass and great job by Paul Stastny to beat his man to the net and take that goal, which, you know, very much looked like it was going to end up being the game winner. Um, just this is what you need from this team and what, what has been missing from the Winnipeg Jets. And I'll say this, this is what was even missing from that Winnipeg Jets team in 2018 when they went to the playoffs, because you could see, and it happened last year, against the Montreal Canadiens just it was it was I don't want to say comical but it was just so obvious they were like hitting you over the head with it the Jets towards the end of the season if they feel like their backs are against the wall they just roll that top line of Shifley and you know in the past it's been Connor Shifley and Wheeler they just roll it out again and again and again and again and again and I get it they're your most skilled guys you want them to have the effect on the game but you gotta send the message to the rest of your team that you believe in them what do you need Ken? no just tonight 
Dubois at 25-12, Shifley 23-15. So he leaned exactly. on the Dubois line tonight exactly. because that line was going. He also said uh, to my question, I mean, Dubois and Connor started the three-on-three in the overtime, and that's right. not common. Usually he starts with Wheeler and Shifley, and he said it. I thought those guys deserved it. And that's, that's Ken, we talked about this when, when Dave Lowry took over for Paul Maurice. That's what I think a lot of fans are looking for. Players being rewarded and given opportunity for what they do out there. Well, I feel like if we're looking at examples of this, Adam Lowry's been provided with opportunity. I thought there were good minutes tonight for Nick Ehlers who, and Andrew Kopp, who's only, this is only a second game back or third, sorry. Third game back? Um, second. Second so, game back. It's only a second game back. And Nick Ehlers, it's only his first game back. So they didn't have, you know, they they didn't have as much ice time as those other lines. But they had a lot of ice time for guys and a lot of trust for guys who were just walking back into the lineup. So those guys get their due. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor and Evgeny Svechnikov, we got to get to him, are given all kinds of opportunity for what they're doing. The fact that you are putting out uh, Kyle Connor and Dubois first in overtime, that's a statement. That is a statement that we did not really see in the Paul Maurice era, where your coach is saying, these are the guys who are going tonight. These are the guys who've given us the best opportunity to win tonight. So these are the guys who are going to be given the first opportunity to win this game for us tonight in this situation. It's about time. This is what gets players engaged and pushing forward and feeling like they are a part of the team and pushing forward. I think there's just been too many times in the past with the Winnipeg Jets. Players have felt alienated by the the player uh, usage decisions. And I think Dave Lowry is, is winning that battle right now. And I'm interested in seeing what it does to this team going. Oh, I totally agree. And folks, I do apologize. It's more lighting, but uh, the internet connection and the uh, service uh, in the Maricopa area is uh, suboptimal, let's just say. So uh, we're doing the best we can here just to power through. But no, I agree. I mean, there's a little bit more of a meritocracy happening right now. And today was another great example. I mean, Kyle Connor was 27.53 and Dubois 25 and change. So um, yeah, and then, so let's transition that into Svechnikov, who, yes. um, you know, <clears throat> great block of games for him, doing the doing the hard things really well. I love what he does along. His board play has improved. Uh, he goes to the hard areas, and, I mean, it, it's paying some dividends. I have a quick one for you because you were there this morning. I know we've talked so much about the chemistry between Dubois and Svechnikov, maybe dating back to their time in Cape Breton. Yeah. I thought Kyle Connor brought up an interesting point because they skated. I, this is not to say they skated on a line together in Michigan, but the familiarity of those two guys, Svechnikov spending the summer in Michigan, Kyle Connor going back home, skating with that group that includes Andrew Kopp, Dylan Larkin, and a bunch of other pros. I wondered what your thoughts were about what you heard from Kyle Connor when it comes to that connection with uh, Evgeny Svechnikov as well. Well, again, that's another question that I asked. And I'll tell you right now, the exact reason I asked that question is I believe it's the game-winning goal in Arizona. Um, we talked about that. It's a Pierre-Luc Dubois to Evgeny Svechnikov over to Kyle Connor into the back of the net goal. Um, but that is one of those goals, and I believe I said this after that game, that is one of those goals. Evgeny Svechnikov does the little subtle things that happen in games that that sells that play. I talked earlier on about like that 
that goal happens because of Adam Lowry. That game winner in that game happens because of Evgeny Svechnikov because he gets the puck. And if I remember correctly, he almost he does one of these things, and this is a really really uh, uh, effective effective move in hockey he gets the puck kind of behind him and looks down to his to his feet and, right. and what i think he's trying to sell the defenseman on is that he's having a hard time with the puck in his feet and so what that does is it a entices the defenseman into trying to close in on you and knock the puck away while you're weak and b it confuses the goaltender because the goaltender gets locked in and it isn't sure what you're going to do now. If you're driving with that puck and you have purpose, a goalie has a better idea of what you're doing. So the goalie gets sucked into the fact that the puck's in his feet. He's wondering what's going to happen. The defender makes a play for that puck. And as soon as he moves to strike, Evgeny Svechko passes the puck over. And if you want to know why Kyle Connor. Uh, puts that puck in the back of the net, and there's no—it's a no doubter. It's because Evgeny Svechnikov's sell job creates that situation. But the one thing that I noticed when I watched that play over is the defender doesn't know what's going on, and the goalie doesn't know what's going on. But Kyle Connor knows exactly what is going on and exactly what Evgeny Svechnikov is doing, and goes right to the spot where he's going to be able to accept that pass and be able to pop that puck into the back of the net. I do, I do think that we can talk all we want about Dubois and the uh, and the the, the uh, junior hockey kind of connection that he has with Svechnikov and the chemistry that they have. And to, to be honest with you, I I remember at the beginning of the year Maurice talked about it and he said, you know, guys in junior Long a lot time. of times that doesn't that doesn't translate to the NHL. I would I would operate under the assumption that if guys have shown chemistry with each other before that you try it expecting chemistry and if it's not there it's not there but you should always try it the fact that two guys kind of know how each other plays is worth a shot and so uh, i it seemed like paul maurice was against giving the shot because his assumption was first and foremost that that chemistry doesn't make it to the nhl and sure there's examples of that i think it was cahoon and dry in edmonton that they were played together in Germany and they were expecting good things from them did not work. So I'm not saying I know more than Paul Maurice. What I am saying is if two guys have shown chemistry before, I think you have to at the very least explore that. So I think there's been this, to your point, there's been this chemistry that we've expected between those two players. They've shown it. But I think that Kyle Connor and Evgeny Svechnikov, it would be interesting, Ken, and I don't want to, I'm not going to knock on wood because I don't want to remove Dubois from the situation because of the ramifications of how that would happen. But it would be interesting to see what would happen. I'm not calling for it. This line should not be broken up. And I'm saying that when Cole Perfetti gets back, this line with Svechnikov should not be broken up. But it would be interesting to see how Kyle Connor and Evgeny Svechnikov would play together with a different center because I do think that there's independent chemistry between all three of those players. It's like the perfect recipe. I'm going to tell you right now, I've got this great dessert that I call the ooey gooey peanut butter bar. <laughs> and it's chocolate and it's peanut butter. And I got the ice cream. Made Delicious. I make, I make banana ice cream. No, it's no the holy good. trifecta. Banana goes with chocolate. Chocolate goes with peanut butter. Peanut butter goes with banana. They all stand on their own. They're all good together. <laughs> That's that is that line. They are as good as my ooey gooey peanut butter with banana ice cream because 
those guys, I think, all have skill. They all work independently with each other. It would be interesting to see just for the sake of an experiment what those two would look like with a different center because I think that the chemistry between them would still exist. When I put my order in on the ice cream, I'm going to take the chocolate ice cream. I'm not a big fan of the banana, so uh, it's good. You know, it's one good. thing you one thing you know one one thing you know about me is I'm a little bit particular, so uh, I'm not a fan of the banana. But uh, I mean, it's an I'm not again. I, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, who would that center be? I mean, if, if it's with Shifley, you don't have a lot of defense being played with that line. So it, if it's yeah. with Adam Lowry, maybe yeah. sure. If it's with Cop, maybe sure. I just, I just think like it, it would just be interesting to see that it, it's. I'm not asking them to, to play with anyone else. I'm just saying I think it would be an interesting uh, experiment to see if they had chemistry with the removal of Pierre. Lutheran. No, sure, it's totally fair. I just think that you know, I, I think I would be the opposite, and I, you know, this is your train earlier on in the year. I just don't think there's any reason at all to break up Dubois and Connor. It, it's been, you know, it's not agreed. You know, agreed. It's an excellent combination platter please do not think that i am condoning that in any way this line i know what you're saying about the independence so you know you sort of brought up perfetti so let's go into a little bit other of other let's go to the injury report here first and foremost what happened today with cole perfetti and christian reichel going on to ltir that means they will have to miss a minimum of 10 games and 24 days uh when when cole perfetti comes back sean if you're going to miss a month of action Cole Perfetti probably needs to go to the American Hockey League before he's ready to be back with the Jets, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, I mean, well, that's I what mean, I think. I mean, if Dave Lowry is is uh, is holding the kind of the same position with Cole Perfetti as he would with Dylan Sandberg, that's how he would that's how he would take this because he had said about Dylan Sandberg, he was asked about him because Dylan Sandberg had offered you know played in a way that he deserved to stick around the lineup, but he comes back and he's down with the Manitoba Moose, and that was the response uh, by Dave Lowry. You know, you can bring a guy up and he could play and he could hop in the lineup here or there, but at some point it starts to hurt a young player. Dylan Sandberg needs to play. He needs to log. He doesn't need to just play in games. He needs to log a lot of ice time to well, keep his development sure. on track. And I, I, I agree with you. I think it's potentially the same thing you'd see with Cole Perfetti. And again, and the second part of the injury trail today is that based on what happened, I mean, you were in the rink. I saw the replay, and it looks pretty obvious to me that uh, Nathan Beaulieu, what happened with him and that getting tied up and tangled with Ryan Suter, uh, to me, this did not look like a day-to-day thing for me, uh, especially given how he smashed his stick on the boards on the way out. Um, yeah. It took him a long time to get to the bench. Nathan Bolu's had some terrible luck with injuries the last three seasons. If he's unavailable for an extended period of time, who's getting called up? Are you is is Logan Stanley immediately going in? Is it Vili Hanela? Is it Dylan Sandberg? I mean, it's an interesting I, I, choice say- the Jets have coming up. I would say it's Vili Hanela. That's where my money would be only because I think Vili Hanela, they would bring him up because one, they feel they can use him, but two, he hasn't sat the way that Dylan Sandberg is. I do think if what Dave Lowry said today is true, they feel like they need to get Dylan Sandberg in playing hockey. Yeah, for, for some reason. That's, that's not going to happen if they bring him up. No, so, totally fair, but I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of the style of player. Um, you know, on that third pairing, you're looking for a little bit of size and I'm also very curious to see if it, you know, maybe Logan Stanley just jumps back in too. I mean, we're waiting to see. I mean, when I asked Dave Lowry about Logan Stanley on Sunday, I mean, he was also asked about him this week at practices, right? I mean, um, you know, they were just saying he needs a little bit more time uh, to get back going. So, 
like I said, um, I'm just I'm just curious to see what the next step is there. And again, we don't know if it's long term or not. But to me, I would not expect Nathan Beaulieu back on this homestand, and we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think the answer to that question was was this morning too with Dave Lowry, and that he had mm-hmm. said that um, uh, he he had suggested that uh, um, Big Logan Stanley. Uh, he said he'll be getting in, like he will be right. playing. He didn't want to take him out because of um, of Nathan Beaulieu, and, and I will say this: I had thought you know you know my thoughts on Nathan Beaulieu, but he had. Uh, I thought Nathan Beaulieu had played the best hockey he'd played as a Winnipeg champ right. in the last little while, in the last three games. So, I, again, I, I'm big on this. Um, you know me on this. If you put guys in and you ask something from them, they deliver, and they deliver not only what you're asking but maybe a step above, then I don't think you could take them out of the lineup. This is the way that I think that good teams stay good and they, there's competition and you push and guys, you know, get you get the most out of players because those players know that their time and their effort is being respected, right? So I thought Nathan Beaulieu, from how he played the last couple of games, was going to be hard to take out of the lineup, for, you know, and be replaced by Logan Stanley because I don't think there had been an opening put in there. Um, but at this stage now, I think Logan Stanley's going to get some time. Uh, and then who knows? Maybe just maybe uh, if they bring up Billy Hanlon, it'll be you know one of those decisions again. Whether it's like, well, we need a little bit more size in the lineup for this game tonight, or we need a little bit more puck moving ability. I mean, it is, those two players are such a contrast that that it gives you that opportunity. But uh, yeah, I see it going in that direction. Um, I wanted to. There was a couple of things I wanted to. Uh, uh, talk about um oh grant braun brought this up it says okay. refs are some fired exception is tim peel i'm thinking more refs need to be sent back to refing school um they're just bringing up tim peel what was your take on him attacking mark shifley yeah i don't know i think you talked about this with Husser the other day um or today actually i i don't know i mean it's not a is you know it's not a great look if a guy's just going into retirement but i mean on the flip side um He's trying to provide some insight. I mean, Tim Peel would have some insight on how Mark Shifley treats officials. So as an official who's reffed a lot of his games over those 10 seasons. So I'm not sure we could be dismissive of it. But what you need, Sean, is you need some other officials to suggest that's also the case. uh, In case there wasn't some kind of a personal beef between the two of them that we're unaware of. So, I mean, Tim Peel's working in the media now. His job is to try and provide insight. And if he believes he has insight on the subject, I mean, he's, you and I know how the business works. You don't, you don't prevent someone from sharing. Um, but I mean, you know, it, it was a pretty direct character attack. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't expect a rebuttal from, I don't think Mark Scheife is going to get into a no. rebuttal type of situation no. because someone suggests something. Uh, I mean, my only other my problem isn't the right word, but I mean, what is he congratulating Chris Weidman for, for tackling him in a non-fight? I mean, that's what, that was a strange part of the, the scenario to me. I mean, if he's, if he's saying good job for standing up for a teammate, fine. But I mean, that was the hugging match, basically. So it's not like he uh, landed a couple of big right hands and said, oh, that's what you get for hitting Jake Evans, even though I wasn't on the team. I mean, um, interesting. I mean, but I mean, the other thing, I said this with Hustler earlier, Sean, I mean, we know that Mark Shifley is not afraid to get into conversations with officials. So the the fact that one, one official took it as, um, you know, not respecting officials. I mean, it's not a surprise, but I mean, 
what's the worst thing Mark Schaefer would say to an official? We know he doesn't swear at them. So, I mean, is he attacking him personally? I don't know. I mean, you need more information. And like I said, I mean, you kind of need to hear it from more than one person. Like this is like in journalism, normally you go to a secondary source. Yeah, you need more sources, right? The tricky part is finding people who will talk. I mean, you're not going to find reps now who are in the game who are going to say maybe someone will say something after i mean I, my, my take is this i mean we someone said it here it's a, we know that mark likes to chirp the refs and i i think i'd seen a take uh in the media where someone had suggested mark can't be disrespectful because he doesn't swear that to me is ridiculous oh that's not I mean, true you no can, exactly that that's that uh, I, I don't know that, that that seems ridiculous to me but i mean I, I do think that, uh, like, I, I don't think Tim Peel just makes that up. I don't think he just walks out and just absolutely drops it. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are, you know, kind of character, uh, you know, character assassins on, on Tim Peel because of the right. way that he left the game. I mean, l- let's listen, Tim Peel got caught, and everyone gets that. We know that this exists. We know that refs manage the games. He's just the guy who got caught. He's the fall guy in that. So don't think that Tim Peel is the only ref in the NHL who ever did that. Like that, 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 that deserves a wake up right there. But I do exactly. think that, uh, I mean, it was an interesting situation. I think that that makes me want to pivot and transition to, I, I think it's worth a conversation. I don't think it's behind us because it's going to head into the future, but we had had this conversation on Mark Shifley's response um, after the fight uh, in the last game. The chat room had convinced me that, you know, Mark Shifley was just kind of laughing it up uh, and, and you know, because I don't fight and this is the deal. The Montreal Canadiens clearly didn't take it that way. Like, I wish I had known about this when we were in the show, but Josh Anderson was pissed. Like, Josh Anderson said, thank God we played those guys another time. Uh, because, you know, they, they want another crack at Mark Shifley. And I, I, again, I just, I, I take a look at that situation. And I just think regardless of how Mark Shifley was framing that, maybe he was looking at his teammates. The more I watch it, the more I don't think so. The more I watch again is like, and again, my question becomes, what is Mark Shifley celebrating in that situation? Like the, he, he, he drops the gloves, he throws a punch, he doesn't land, he falls and the other guy ends up on top of him. Like, what are you celebrating? Are you celebrating a one fight? Because no one won that fight. And in fact, it wasn't really a fight. The only thing I can think is he's he's celebrating the fact that that the Montreal Canadiens come for retribution and he avoids retribution. That's what it seems like he's celebrating to me. I just didn't think it was necessary in that situation. I know a lot of people don't like the hockey code and I know a lot of people think the hockey code needs to get out of the game. But like this is just human nature if you're upset with someone and you go uh to like address being upset with them and address being upset with them and they avoid you know your 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 efforts to address that and are like na 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 and walk away that's just pouring gas on the fire and i do i do think after watching that again that there was gas poured on the fire after that situation i think tim peel's response to that is tim peel thinking that in the game he felt disrespected or the refs felt disrespected at times by Mark Shifley and what he thought he was seeing was another example of Mark Shifley being disrespectful to people within the game. And that's why he points it out at that time. I just, I I do think that in that situation, there was an ability to walk out of that situation, de-escalate everything. And it was simple. He just needed to stand up and look straight ahead and skate to the bench and not do anything. Um, and and I do think that Tim Peel's uh, 
Tim, what Tim Peel is feeling in that situation as a ref is something that other players, especially players on the Montreal Canadiens, are feeling around the league about Mark Scheifele. Yeah, I mean, I I still, uh, this is much ado about nothing to me, Sean. I think it's a non-story, a non-issue. And it, you know what? And I said this with Huss today earlier also. You know what? I'm Good for Josh Anderson being ticked off about it. But, I mean, what's really going to happen? Like, Josh Anderson's going to challenge Mark Shifley? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Josh Anderson's pissed off the Montreal Canadiens were in the Stanley Cup final last year. And now they're the second worst team in the NHL. So... I think they have much bigger problems than worrying about Mark Shifley. Um, and, oh, I mean, what's going to – oh, well, what oh, Mark Shifley, if he turtles, oh, is that going to hurt his reputation? I mean, Mark Shifley's not a fighter. I mean, who cares? Um, I don't know. I know we disagree on this same as we did with Logan maybe, Stanley. Again, I thought that that was a non-issue also. Maybe I'd frame this it is like also this, a long, This is also a non-issue for me. Maybe I'd frame it like this. I think Ken and and you can agree or disagree with me. I think the 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 Winnipeg Jets and their players uh, or certain players are starting to be thought of as villains outside of this market. Now I don't know if that's like maybe that's something you want, right? Like the big bad Bruins loved being the villains, right? The 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 Philadelphia Flyers loved being villains. They they. D- earned those reputations in a bit of a different way by being bullies and being tough and like beating the snot of the guys, not being the guys who kind of like avoided those situations, uh, which I think is what the, what Logan Stanley was celebrating. And I think what, uh, what Mark Shifley w- was celebrating. Um, and I don't know the answer to this question. Maybe it's good to be viewed as villains outside of this market, but I mean, the question that has to be asked, I wonder, like, I, and I, I, I'm actually like, I, I, I'm not chastising here. I hope it doesn't sound like this. I'm asking Jets fans, is that is that a look you want? Maybe it is. Like, sometimes it's better to be thought of than to not be thought of at all. But I just do wonder um, what people's thoughts are on the Jets being thought of as villains outside of this market. If the league starts getting to a place where they look at the Winnipeg Jets and think of them in negative connotations. Yeah, I mean, to me, Sean, again, Shifley, wasn't, he did not say he won the fight. He did not say he avenged himself for what happened with Jake Evans. He did not say... What's he celebrating then, Ken? I don't care. We talked about this the other day. It's nothing. He's celebrating the fact there have been no fans or half capacity. Who cares? They got a win on a Tuesday night. Get the crowd into it. Big deal. I, I, I honestly don't find this Fair to enough. be a big deal at all. Um, I understand other people are fired up about it, and I'm not dismissing their viewpoint. It just, to me, this doesn't even move the needle at all. Like, Mark Shifley's not going to have to fight 10 times the next 10 times they play Montreal. It, it's a yeah. non-story for me. So, yeah. again, and I also have no problem with people being upset with it or not liking it. But, I mean, I would much rather have someone show some emotion, even if it's misplaced. But to me, I mean, just the fact that it's been... Hockey's weird. I mean, and we've all been on teams where guys who don't fight fight. Guys get pumped up about that, right? Even if it's not even a wrestling match, Sean, right? I mean... To me, that that's all this is. I mean, I think it was more mockery than anything. I mean, it was more... And the same thing with Logan Stanley. Logan Stanley doesn't think that he dusted Wayne Simmons. It was barely even a fight, right? So That's, that's what I'm saying. So again, why is That's what I'm saying. But again... I'd be, the, the, General Imlareth is one of our guys here from Calgary. I'd be interested to, on his take outside of this market on how he views the Winnipeg Jets if, if this is... Oh, he's here. not pretending to be a fighter. Mark is not going to get into another fight this season. No, he's had two um, in his career. 
I wanted to bring this up, and I want. Nor sh- and hang on. Nor should he be fighting. This he is a goal scorer. Agreed. He does Agreed. not need to risk, especially guys who don't fight. You know what happens which, when guys which, who don't fight. But then, Ken, if that's what you're saying, which is why he shouldn't be risking enraging another team afterwards. Like, like, okay, you're right. Mark Shifley should not be fighting. So the fact that you've got Josh Anderson in the media talking about, thank God we play these guys one more time so we can get another crack at them in this situation, isn't that a bad thing? If you don't want Mark Shifley fighting, do you want Mark Shifley pissing the other team off to the point that they want to go after him? It's an overreaction for me. Uh, that's from, that's all. from Josh Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem with what he uh, said. I, in fact, I, in fact, I, I encourage it. I encourage him to say how he feels, and if that's how he feels, right on. But if he thinks that Mark is going to go to center ice and they flip their lids like they used to in the eighties no, and risk falling no. on his head, who cares? If Josh Anderson wants to chase Mark Shifley around and try to hit him with a clean check, by all means. But. Who cares? I mean, Mark Shifley should not be getting into a fight. He should not be risking breaking his hand or falling on the ice or any of those things. Uh, If someone else wants to challenge him, that's their issue. But uh, to me, this is, I mean, it's a non-story. And that's a good, that's a good buff right there from North End Rick. And again, like I said, I mean, we like when people are fired up about things, but much like we talked about before, Sean, at the end of this month, I mean, it, would it be great if there's five fights in the Toronto game? Sure, that's old-time hockey. Hopefully no one gets hurt. But when those games usually come around, when you play an opponent twice a year, they're usually not what we expect them to be. They can be intense games, but I don't think for one second that there are going to be 20 Canadians chasing Mark Shifley around and trying to get him to fight and try to hurt him. I mean, I yeah. just don't see that happen. That's just not the way the game is anymore. I don't think it's... Yeah, and nor I, should it be. Yeah. Uh, um, hey, I, I wanted to bring this up just quickly. Um, Rob Mahoney said this, and I know some people are talking about this in the chat room. Um, I'm pretty surprised the Wiesek grenade didn't gain more traction. Th- this to me was... And I've got all the respect in the world for Wiesek, but this to me was like ultimate hyperbole. Like, I don't think you can... T- hey, listen... Paul Wiesick had said he covered crime for 10 years and some of the worst people he's met are in the Winnipeg Jets locker room. I, too, used to work news. I covered crime for a lot of years. And the people who, to suggest for a second that that he's met worse people um, in the Jets locker room than, like, rapists and murderers and, you know, like, some of the people who, I've got a lot of guys, buddies who work as prison guards. I mean, to me, that's hyperbole. Like that is that that is a statement that can't be taken seriously in that situation. Again, I've got all the respect in the world for Paul Wiesick, but to suggest that the worst people he's met after covering crime for ten decades are in the Winnipeg Jets that that can't be that can't be a, a proper statement. That can't be a true statement. It just so to me that's why that's not gaining as much traction is because it's obvious hyperbole to me. Anyway, Ken, do you want to touch on that or no? Not, not no. really. Okay. Um, all right. We're done. We're done then. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that we're done. Uh, we're going to be doing this Sunday all over again. 
Uh, it's going to be a big one. The Jets have given up half of a loss that they can allow for this week. If they win on uh, on Sunday, they come out ahead of time. They buy themselves a little bit of goodwill uh, for themselves going forward. But, boy, that's going to be a tough one against uh, a Rangers team that just seems to be – has been firing all year and has been firing as of late. If you take a look at all of these kind of teams, like I, I joked about it on, on uh, Twitter earlier on, the Jets look to have broken the Minnesota Wild, who've gone 2-6 and six since they lost lost that 6-3 game to them. The, the one thing that I found interesting about this Rangers team is while they are still sitting third in uh, the Metropolitan Division, I can't really look at any stretches of the season, Ken, where they've like fallen apart and played bad hockey for a stretch of time. Like It just seems like they're one it's of good these teams. teams. They're like the Jets in that the Jets, for the most part this year, seem to be in games. They just always end up on the wrong side of them. It's like they're like the bizarro Superman uh, to the Winnipeg Jets in that they're always in these games and usually end up on the right side of them. But the ones that they lose, they're giving themselves a chance in as well. So that's a tough team. You, I would fully expect that that game is going to be a grind one way or another. If the Jets win it, do win it, it's not going to be easy. They're going to need to have to come with an effort like I thought I saw uh, from them tonight, just without some of the uh, without some of the mistake prone. Yeah, and Shesterkin's uh, been so great, right? I mean, he's Jeff Merrick's preseason choice for the Vesna, and he's now he's going to be getting MVP votes, not just Vesna votes this year. So yeah, yeah, uh, this is this is a good point as well. That's what's coming into town here. Um, so before we let you go, just wanted to keep you all uh, apprised of. What we've got going in here, uh, uh, we've had the T-shirts out. Let's bring it up here. To, if you want to go get any Kenny and Rennie merchandise, uh, www.shopsportsnet.store, where we've got a whole bunch of stuff there at a really good price point. We do really appreciate uh, the efforts that people have put in so far uh, in buying stuff. Got the mugs here that we absolutely love, the water bottles, everything. We're going to keep trying to push it down the road and bring more and more to you. Um, appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate you stopping by here. If you're watching and you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, why don't you go ahead and do that because we're here after every game and we love having people in the conversations with you. Uh, and uh, click like uh, while you're there as well. Helps get our videos out to everyone. We've been doing been really happy with our numbers as of late and as always we're happy with the chat room that just drives this show night in and night out you're the heartbeat and the engine of it we appreciate you for that we'll see you all again on sunday